Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Colony Drop, a Gundam podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Isaac. This is your favorite Gundam podcast where we talk about everything from the anime series and OVAs to the models and amazing kits to manga and everything else Gundam related. That's right. And what are we talking about today, Isaac? We're talking about a special manga series, kind of similar to <laughs> the last one we talked about. This one is Mobile Suit Gundam Silhouette Formula 91 in UC 0123. That's right. We are continuing our journey along with Sunrise into the next 100 years of the Universal Century. So a few weeks ago, we reviewed Gundam F90, and now we're going to Gundam Silhouette Formula F91. And this is a manga that came out in connection with a set of model kits between the years 1992 to 1995. So this actually came out after the F91 movie, because the F91 movie came out in 1991. So I guess that's that's kind of something to think about as you read this manga. Like, you would have already seen the movie if you were reading this at the time. Yeah. Um, and that, that might help. <laughs> for, for yeah, <laughs> I definitely would say it's much more of a, um, a spiritual or literal prequel to Gundam F91 than um, Gundam F90. Gundam F90 was almost a a goodbye letter to Xeon <laughs> <laughs> because it really kind of end capped that in a way, at least at the time of the, the manga's creation, that was it for Xeon. The ones on Mars, that's it. It's time to move on. F91 is going to start and we're going to have a new threat to the Earth sphere. Yeah. This one kind of uh, introduces us to the Crossbone Vanguard before F91. Especially because this takes place about three weeks before the movie, before the F91 movie, within the within the timeline. So yeah. we, I think the world gets its first glimpse of the Crossbone Vanguard. Even though it does seem a few characters are already aware of it, but we'll get to that. So I think, kind of like what we did with F90, I don't think probably a lot of people have read these mangas. Um, no. So I think I think these reviews work better if we just kind of go through the story. Um, I think sure. that worked well last time for F90. What do you think, Isaac? Yeah, I think so. Why don't you kick us off, Brian, and uh, give us the synopsis for anybody that maybe doesn't plan on reading it or they don't quite remember exactly what <laughs> happened. <laughs> so I'll say this before we jump into it. It's an interesting story. I feel like Gundam F90 was a better story, not that I'm trying to compare them completely for this whole podcast or anything like that. But yeah, it was interesting. I, I'll say that. Yeah, I would say it's worth reading if you're a Gundam fan. But maybe not the best standalone thing out there that I've ever read. How about that? <laughs> I'll even go further. They didn't stick the landing. Uh, whereas F90 was pretty much a really good side story. You know, it was just a, a small fleet on a mission. And they have a Gundam and they're on a mission. And there's, you know, Zeons there. They're the bad guys. And they're going to deal with this threat. It's just a good side story mission quest. This was... Oh boy, it it almost <laughs> felt like they wanted to do a lot more than they were able to in the time that they had in the in the pages they had, I should say. I wonder if the original plot of this was something they thought maybe they could release as a a series or mini series that would directly tie into Gundam F91 um because so much of it was trying to be I felt really complex, but it it fell flat in a lot of ways. I totally That's agree. My and I mark. <laughs> I think a lot of times this just left me kind of confused. I, I yeah. asked why a lot. Hopefully we, we asked why at the same points as we go through this um, as, as this story here. But 
So to begin, we open up, as Isaac said, in UC0123. And this is in starts on February 18th of UC0123, so right before the F91 movie. And we open up near the moon in what in what they call the zebra zone. I'm not actually sure exactly where the zebra zone is, but... Um, <laughs> you know what, Brian? I would be surprised <laughs> if the zebra zone was mentioned anywhere outside this manga. I think the writers just put it together and like said okay we d- we can't pick a side because that'll create you know problems with the timeline <laughs> so we'll just say we're in an area of space called zebra zone <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i guess the overall point regardless of where exactly the zebra zone is F- the the movie f91 takes place you know on the frontier side i believe which i think is side 4 i believe I forget so, yeah. exactly which one it is but there was a renaming yeah, yeah after the war <laughs> yeah I believe it's side four, but I'll, I'll double check that. Um, and this, I guess the only thing to keep in mind is this doesn't take place over there. It takes place closer to the moon. And we see our, our two star pilots, Tokyo Randall. Uh, I guess you pronounce his name Tokyo, maybe Tokayo, Tokyo. How do you say his name? I went with Tokyo, even though for our listeners, instead of a Y in Tokyo, it's an I. So I'm not sure if this was sort of a nod by the creators, like, oh, we're going to put our capital in the, <laughs> in the story as a name. Um, or maybe there's an inflection that we're not getting, like it's really Tokyo or something like that. Yeah, it could um, be. Yeah. So we're probably both going to call him Tokyo this whole time, so really apologize if that's wrong. <laughs> and uh, you know what? Let us know in the comments. But anyway, we get, our, we get our first shot of Tokyo. He's piloting the titular... Is that how you say that? Right? The tit... tit- yeah, sure. The, <laughs> the namesake. <laughs> yeah, Tokyo is titular. Is, titular. <laughs> Tokyo is piloting the namesake Gundam of the series, the RXF91, and uh, his little pal Kevin Forrest, who just has the most like basic name ever. Like, just you got you got Tokyo, and then a guy named Kevin. Uh, and of course, they give Kevin like the, the GM or the Jagan replacement in in the Hardy right. Gun. And Kevin has this adorable little like sticker on his helmet called it just says "Born to Fly." Uh, I, that made me think that he was going to be this like Top Gun badass, and wow, that couldn't have been couldn't have been further from the truth. No, he gets his not coward moment, but um, I don't know. It was a very human moment to give a test pilot. <laughs> <laughs> so these two, you know, they're testing out their suits. Uh, kind of very similar opening to Gundam F90, actually. And then out of nowhere, this red Crossbone Vanguard Denon shows up. And, you know, Tokyo and Kevin freak out. They call their commanding officer Subit. Or I, how do you pronounce Subit? I went with Who the hell names Garrett Subit? I was, I was <laughs> going back to your days of uh, Libo and Libot. I was thinking, like, could this possibly be, like, a French first name? And, like, it should mm. really be, like, like Subert or something. <laughs> <laughs> could be. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to say, you know, whatever uh, translation we were reading, Subit it is. <laughs> Subit. So we're going with Subit, everybody. Uh, so they call Subit. He comes out to help them in, in another hardy gun. Throughout this, we realize that these people are test pilots for Anaheim Electronics. They're not test pilots for the Federation. It's kind of important for later on. So, you know, Tokyo kind of gets into this tussle, I'll say, with the, with the crossbow Vanguard suit. Uh, and <laughs> Tokyo, being kind of an idiot, tries to slam his suit into it. And that's probably not a good idea because the RXF-91 is, is a small mobile suit, similar to the Gundam F-90. And, you know, they don't, ha- they don't have heavy armor. You can't really do that in those, in those suits. So he kind of damages his suit a bit. And then we find out that the Crossbone Vanguard suit was made by another company, which was probably pronounced either the Book or the Butch Aerodynamics. I've always had Butch concern. Like, okay, 
<laughs> I don't want us to jump into F91 too much, but um, uh, all right, time for me to nerd out as the, the villain <laughs> expert. All right, <laughs> if you remember the bad guys, the bad guy family in F91 was the uh, the Ronas, right? Carozza mm-hmm. Rona and like, yep. Cecily Rona and all that. Okay, their original name was Butch. They uh, purchased the Rona name. So I, I guess Butch is like maybe the space equivalent of like Johnson. So this is the <laughs> Johnson Corporation or something. Got it. Butch so, and Butch. Yeah. So this is clearly, you know, the, the mother company of the F9 of the sorry, the mother company of the Crossbone Vanguard at work. <laughs> so I guess the, the thing to take away from that battle is that Tokyo and Co, they were not aware of sort of this other faction or this new faction who we, we know later is going to become the Crossbone Vanguard with these you know, mobile suits um, ready to do battle. Yeah. Also a faction using miniature mobile suits too, which is yeah. literally mm-hmm. what they're researching because they're Anaheim Electronics. Not to jump too ahead, but I thought it was really interesting that they mentioned, oh, you know, we're, we're pretty much playing catch up <laughs> at this point <laughs> because uh, SNRI, the uh, Strategic Naval Research Institute, you know, has pretty much outpaced us technologically and they're already pumping out mass producing uh, miniature mobile suits. So, you know, whatever this suit's from, it's by default, it's kind of ahead of us. (laughs) Yeah, and if you think about it, they're really sort of just admitting defeat, right? Because their RX-F91 is basically a copy of of SNRI's Gundam F91. Yeah, yeah. So when you you have to copy the the competition, I think you've kind of lost at that point. Right. (laughs) So... You're not on the cutting edge by default, and um, even their top engineer, like his attitude about it, was kind of like, "Yeah, I guess we're, <laughs> I guess we're playing catch up. It was only a matter of time before we jumped on the miniature mobile suit bandwagon." I think he literally says that. We we find out that the Denonzon was piloted by a, a Morris O'Berry and his lieutenant Sheffield, and <laughs> I, I found it interesting in that both parties were testing out their mobile suits. So the Crossman Vanguard <laughs> were testing out their Denonzons, yeah, and. And Anaheim was testing out their RXF91, and they were after the little skirmish. They were both worried that they had been seen by the other party, so now they both want to like take each other out. Um, (laughs) And Sheffield's crew has a really cool name. They're the Dark Tiger Squadron, very very Zeon like Ace Pilot Corps. um, Exactly. In the next chapter, we meet Iris, who is probably one of the better characters in in the series. She's in mobile suit development for Anaheim. She's working on the RX RXF91. She's a Nina Purpleton. That's all yeah, you need she, to know. <laughs> Iris, yeah. She would Iris, be equal rank to Nina. <laughs> Iris is, you know, sexy Nina Purpleton, basically. She took Nina's wardrobe and made it much more form-fitting. And Iris seems maybe better at her job. Um, but that, yeah. that's basically Iris. Well, it's, and, it's in her blood, right? Because her, her dad was a test pilot, too. Yeah, true, yeah. true. Well, one thing I noticed in this chapter, Isaac, is we got your, your favorite thing. <laughs> or they drank coffee out of a squeeze pouch. Oh, I was hoping you'd mention that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the engineer like offered some to Captain Hurst, right? He was like, "Hey, you want some coffee? <laughs> Don't mind if I do." <laughs> so then both sides kind of decide what to do. Subit wants to attack first. I think yeah. they ultimately don't have a second skirmish right away. They don't. They don't um, really. Yeah, there's a lot of Minoski particles in the area, so I think the blade would which is Anaheim's test ship, they can't really detect what's going on. And also, they kind of made a point that they're not really a warship. You know, they're, to an extent, kind of relying on the military. Um, the Crossbone Vanguard are are in a warship, but they're just by themselves. There's only one ship. They don't have, like, a whole fleet out there. That's a bit of a, you know, a sticking point, I guess. I'm not quite sure why the Crossbone Vanguard was just so 
I guess, dedicated a secrecy against this one test ship. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they kind of outgunned them, you know. They, they to, to an extent, they really didn't even need to send their mobile suits after them. They could have just gone after them by ship and, you know, used their, their main particle cannons. Yeah, I mean, the Bladewood itself is, is a sort of a, a modified transport ship, basically. Yeah. It seems like if the Crossbow Vanguard really wanted to, they could have just kind of charged in and, and, and shot them. But... So it goes. Right, we wouldn't yeah. have a story, I suppose, if they did that. Well, um, they're in they're in secrecy <laughs> mode still. So yeah, I'm that's sure. True. That's true. I'm sure if they did commit the attack, they'd have to answer for it later to somebody higher up, like Carozo, maybe. Yeah, and then we, at this point in the story, we get our first hint that there's some sort of conspiracy issue happening here, because Tokyo brings up that he heard that SNRI has a mole, but then the engineer and the crew, I believe his name is Elsener. He says, no, there's no mole. It's just that the Federation is purposely leaking info to Anaheim Electronics. I guess so Anaheim doesn't fail. Um, yeah. That which I found of, very confusing. Absolutely. I can't agree with you more. I read that and I was like, oh, they must keep want Anaheim to stick around. But then that clashed with other lore that said, no, the Federation was kind of done with Anaheim. And the whole point of creating SNRI was that they wouldn't have to rely on Anaheim. So I'm not sure which fact has more weight than the other. <laughs> you, you can kind of just chalk it up to, okay, no matter what's going on, Anaheim is still a big company, so they have deep pockets. I'm sure they're paying someone for information somehow. So they're trying to catch up in miniature mobile suit development through sheer bribery you know, <laughs> or corruption yeah. somehow. So then I guess then we do actually have a second skirmish. The Crossman Vanguard suits are back this time. O'Berry brought his lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Sheffield, with him, who's who has like the the better version of the Denzon. The uh, actually, it's called the Burga. Man, I really, you know, what's great about the Zaku? It has a very simple name. <laughs> yeah, these Crossman Vanguards with like the apostrophes and the <laughs> yeah, they really want to stay secret. No one's gonna remember yeah. you with a name like the Burga Barus. Exactly. The Burga Barus. I don't know. Burga Barus. Anyway, Lieutenant Sheffield's in the Burga Barris here, and our, our pal Tokyo's trying to fight him. Subit and Kevin, they take off to go to go help Tokyo, but Kevin's afraid, and he's just like, damn it, Kevin, you know, get out there, <laughs> go help your friend. But, but now Kevin actually has a, a something better than a hardy gun. He has the G-Cannon Magna, which is pretty yeah. neat suit. I like that it one. It was interesting. Yeah, it definitely had pretty, uh, these, these aren't your gun cannons guns. The lizard. Yeah, <laughs> it was a pretty long range looking uh, weapon it had. Yeah, yeah. I guess you know if you're listening to this and you don't know these suits already, the just pick the RX F91 basically looks like a sort of a dorkier version of the F91, and then the Hardy gun is kind of like a cool looking updated Jagan or like a, a new version of the GM, but it looks like better. I guess it has yeah. a pretty cool paint schemes, got some blue trim. And then the G Cannon Magna is basically an updated gun cannon, but with like cool, <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah, it's it, less blocky and more. Um, it just looks more technologically advanced. During this battle, our Anaheim pals are sort of giving, getting overwhelmed, and Iris starts having a flashback of her dad dying in a mobile suit test. He was he was testing a, a Jagan with basically a really big backpack, and I think they called it the Fireball Jagan. Um, <laughs> oh, the and this, yeah, just a terrible, terrible name um, for, for for that to happen. Um, so his his backpack malfunctions, you know, he he blows up. That happens when Iris is nine years old. Uh, we find out later. I think it happens on her birthday. So obviously very formative for her. Oh, um, you know, she panics and she sort of goes into you know, 
you see seed mode or, or whatever. And she tells, she has this idea and she tells Tokyo to turn off the limiters on the, on the maneuverability of the, of the RX F 91. Yeah. And, and so once he takes the limiters off, he just kind of blows past all the crossbone Vanguard suits. I thought that was such an interesting scene, but like they made a point. It was Iris. I think she said, you know, we designed the suits so that anybody could pilot them. That's, or at least that's the direction they're heading. So, I thought that was interesting. That must mean that if you take off those limiters, it can be much higher than without the lim- without with the limiters on. So right. the limiters must be sort of, I guess, um, maybe the equivalent would be like playing a video game, and it it would have um, maybe settings that you know help with your aim assist or um, you know stop you from falling off a ledge, things like that. But with those off, maybe you're able to have much more flexibility, even though it's riskier to you. Yeah, maybe it's like an automatic versus manual transmission kind of thing. I'm yeah, not sure. That's true. Interesting. I, I guess a good excuse for Tokyo to, you know, be really good uh, as a pilot. So he starts, right. you know, zip zipping around, but the Crossbone Vanguard sort of throws his flash grenade and they retreat. I will say this about the Crossbone Vanguard: the Denon Zon looks almost better and more intimidating in this manga, the way it's drawn, than it did in F91. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure, but like this one, it comes across much more. Um, Evil, very you know, as fascist as uh, the Crossbone Vanguard is, the uh, the Denon Zahn looks very much like a you know a German soldier with helmet with a with goggles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, All I can uh, think of when I see yeah. the Denon Zons is is that anime Jinro. Oh yeah, day. yeah. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah, a little bit of Darth Vader there too. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Our Anaheim pals kind of make it back to the Bladewood, and Crossbone Vanguard makes it back to their ship. Oh, that's when we get the flashback actually. It's also her birthday. This is <laughs> yeah. This is yep. the first Gundam birthday we've ever seen, I think. I don't think anyone's ever celebrated their birthday in Gundam before. <laughs> the flashback that Iris has is a dream. And then she's awoken. And she's awoken by an explosion on the ship. And the the cause is unknown. Uh, but they know, they know that they need to stop and fix it at a nearby abandoned colony. And they, I think they call it the seventh colony. I don't know if that literally means it was the seventh colony ever made. It was made in UC 0040, so it's old. And in addition to being old in general, it was also abandoned back in UC uh, 0092. As they approach, you know, guess who's there? The Crossbone Vanguard are, are waiting there. And O'Berry, uh, he, he's getting all you know excited. He really wants to attack. He's like, this is our chance. And Sheffield tells him, no, no, this is a trap. They can't even enter through the port, so don't worry about it. We have to gather more information first before we attack them because, and I think he basically just says, because orders must be followed. And he even admits that these orders are suspicious, but they, they plan to follow them. So this is the first part where I was like, okay, this, this, isn't, this isn't making sense here. I'm not really sure who wants what from who at this point. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> because at this point, if you don't want them to see you, you should probably just kill them when you have the, the element of surprise. But they don't. So our, our pal on the on the Bladewood, the Anaheim crew, they enter the port. Subit and Kevin go explore the colony. And then they realize that, oh, we, we, we got into this colony. And look, all the electricity is still on. Subit starts making some good observations, which he does through the rest of this manga. He, he's the smartest man around. Because uh, he goes, oh, you know what? That's probably a bad sign that the electricity's on. And, and maybe there's people here. And so this is the first time <laughs> where I was like, Subit is a smart man. We, you should stick with him. And of course, lurking in the buildings in the colony, we see a Garadoga, which caught me off guard because uh, I didn't think there were going to be any Zeon in the story. Exactly, um, yeah. 
my brain was running. I was like, okay, which crossbow and Vanguard suit is this? This doesn't look like a Denon's on. Um, is it like the the one Cecily pilots later on? Like the what is it called? The Virgna Gina or something like that? No. Yeah. <laughs> and I was yep. like, oh, it's a it's a Zaku base. <laughs> of course it is. It's <laughs> it's a mono eye. So then they get into the colony, the ship, the Bladewood, the engineer, uh, Elzener informs the captain that the damage to the ship is worse than they thought and then they show the damage to the ship and it's a giant hole <laughs> in the ship and i don't understand how the cause was not known or or like how no one could see the damage before so elzener is like well you know what we need to go into the colony and find a, a factory to, to fix this ship and so iris wants to go too and that's when we realize that uh elzener knows man i really hope i'm pronouncing his name right is it elzener or elzener I thought it was Elesner. So Elesner, and I apologize, I think I called him Elzener. Elesner, Elzener, whatever his name is. Engineer guy whose name starts with an E. And so they, he, he's the one that tells Tokyo, look, Iris's father died when she was nine. I knew her father. She accidentally saw a tape of this when she started working in Anaheim. And as soon as she saw that, she transferred to mobile suit development. And so this is just, birthdays are very hard for her. So then he's just giving Tokyo context because... Like you said, this was the first Gundam birthday we ever saw, and they threw her a birthday party, like a surprise birthday party, and she sort of accepted all the gifts, but then she immediately dismissed everyone from her party. <laughs> that was a little strange. I thought it was interesting that like part of <laughs> part of UC birthday celebrations is that like somebody wears a top hat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you caught that in the art. Like, I did not. <laughs> like, there's party hats and stuff, but someone put on a top hat. But um, <laughs> crew just wants something to celebrate because they're in a combat situation. They're really just there for, for testing suits. And I don't know. They wanted to let loose, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so Great-looking cake, though. <laughs> Isaac is a cake expert, so. I love it. So the next day, Tokyo and Iris are driving around in the colony and she, Tokyo notices that she is wearing the the watch that he gave her, and we, it turns out we find out that yeah, they all got her gifts, but they maybe didn't necessarily get her the best gifts. I guess that's because they're just like all in the ship, right? So he gave her like a used watch that sounded like it was purchased like at the military store or, or like the Anaheim store. It's like a male watch; it's not even a female watch. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I thought that was funny, yeah. and it's the and she that said, counts, Iris. yeah. Yeah, and she said, oh, you know, I'll cherish it forever. Da, da, da. And I, I didn't know, if was that maybe, going back to your point earlier about how maybe they wanted to do, like, other stuff with this series, was there supposed to be a romance between these two and that just kind of never happened? Um, if if there was, I mean, we didn't even get the starting of the romance. These characters just had a very much of a working relationship, I felt, you know? <laughs> yeah. While they're driving around, they get fired on by that Garadoga that we saw earlier. But lo and behold, our basic pal Kevin comes to the rescue when he slices the Garadoga's gun in half with his beam saber. He was emboldened. He had a bunch of confidence because the Garadoga is, you know, a 30-year-old suit. So I think while he was afraid earlier, now he knew he could win because he was facing a sort of an outmatched opponent. And then he punches the Garadoga in the face and asks for him a surrender. And then who steps out but a woman pilot? Oh, yeah. boy. A young woman. They bring this young woman back to the Bladewood. We immediately find out that this girl's name is Layla because Dubit um, and Tokyo start interrogating her. and they, Basically, the only thing they've found out is that her name is Layla. And Iris is like, you know what? Why don't you guys go away and let me let me talk to her? And then Subit wonders, 
what Agaradoga is doing there. <laughs> and he thinks that maybe, <laughs> maybe that's not a good sign. And this, again, is the second time I said Subit is a smart man. He is the only one making real <laughs> observations on this crew. Layla opens up to Iris. Layla tells us that she's a descendant of Neo-Zeon remnants that sort of drifted after the war, but they eventually settled on this colony. But what happened six years ago, Isaac? Six years ago, something horrible happened. The Federation came, and they murdered almost all the Zeon remnants living there in the colony. Just tons of them. It was a slaughter. It was a massacre. A war crime, really. And ever since then, Layla and the survivors have sort of been... Obviously, understandably, uh, on the alert. That's why she went out in a 30-year-old mobile suit to try to defend their uh, little secret colony. And now she's a little bit perturbed because our pals on the Bladewood have put out a distress signal, which now the Federation is on their way to come help. And the Neo-Zeon remnants living in the colony do not like that. The Federation ship on the way is called the Ajax. I believe it's a Rock Loom class. Um, yeah. So the, the Ajax gets there actually pretty quickly. And we meet Lieutenant Dorfman, who has, just has the worst name. She says, we were in the middle of a mission, but we were supposed to meet up with you anyway. Don't worry about it. We'll we'll take care of your repairs. Dorfman says, hey, you know, Iris, I need you to come on to the Ajax. And by, by the way, bring all the data that you have gathered on the RX F91 so far. So if Subit was there, he'd say, hmm, that seems a little strange. But he wasn't. So... <laughs> Iris naively goes with Dorfman, and she boards the the Ajax. And what do we see? Don't we see another mobile suit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we see another Gundam. We don't know at the time, but it is the RX ninety nine Neo Gundam. We immediately find out in the next chapter that there's actually two new Gundams on the Ajax. So at this point in the story, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what are we? Do- How many Gundams are in this story? What is happening? Why does everybody have a Gundam? I, I don't know. When you saw these new Gundams, what went through your mind, Isaac? I was like, okay, they're going to fight. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, something's clearly afoot with the Federation as usual. And I was thinking to myself, okay, if there's going to be like a villainous Federation ship, Ajax is probably a good name. So I should keep an eye on like what exactly <laughs> is happening on the Ajax now that they've arrived to the situation. Yeah, and, and Lieutenant Dorfman and her commander, Galemson, they both are Bass. just drawn... <laughs> Yeah, Baz. We'll call him Baz. Commander Baz. They're both just drawn very menacing, right? So you kind of know that they're evil, probably, right off the bat. And she so, reminds me a lot of Dorothy from Gundam Wing, if you remember. Dorothy, the uh, yeah. kind of the evil, evil girl, kind of. <laughs> so Dorfman and Baz have Iris upload all of the, the valuable RXF-91 data into Unit 2. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Baz says, you know what, I'm ready to launch in Unit 1. And Iris says, "What? Well, I didn't fix Unit One." And he says, "Ah, it's fine. Don't worry about it." And <laughs> he says, "We're I'm synchronized with it." He's got all these like plugs plugged into his helmet, so he launches out there. And because you remember, we're still at this colony. Basically, the rest of the story takes place at this seventh colony or whatever its actual name is. And so you you've got your crossbow vanguard still sort of lurking out there on their ship. You got the Bladewood now, and now you have the Ajax. And so Mr. Baz launches. And the Crossbow Vanguard squad is out there lurking, trying to find the Bladewood crew. And instead, they see Baz coming towards them. And so Oberi's like, I want to shoot him. I want to I want to shoot him. I want to shoot him. Um, like, Oberi is always trying to shoot people. And Sheffield says, no, don't shoot him. Just relax. He He's coming over here. So Baz gets out of his cockpit. And then Oberi and Sheffield get out of their cockpits. 
and then O'Berry and, and Sheffield give Baz a briefcase. And then O'Berry asks Sheffield if they can trust that guy. And at this point, I'm very confused. Were you confused at this point, Isaac? Pretty much. I was hoping for like an explanation, like like exposition, really. I was hoping for, oh, you know, here's the money you wanted for the Gundam delivery or something. Or, and I was like, oh, okay, the Crossbone Vanguard's going to take a Gundam and like, I don't know, they'll face off against like, you know, everybody in the Bladewood or something at the climax. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yep. this nope. was like a briefcase swap. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so bad, so bad no lead break. up to this. No explanation. <laughs> No, and O'Berry clearly didn't know what was going on because he was ready to shoot the guy. Yeah, uh, didn't tell him. <laughs> yeah, so Barry was Barry didn't know. But then Baz is about to get it back into his his cockpit, and he says, "Oh, by the way, I heard the Anaheim ship ran into a bit of trouble with the Crossbone Vanguard." And Sh- and Sheffield goes, "How how do you know that?" And Baz says, "Well, get some rest from from Captain Wenzel." And I don't think we ever actually ever find out who Captain Wenzel is. No. <laughs> and then Baz immediately tries to fire on O'Berry. Sheffield gets upset. I guess Baz kills O'Berry here because we never saw O'Berry again, which is pretty. Yeah. Which just sucks for O'Berry because he was out. I believe he wasn't even in his suit at the time. He got like no. he, got, he got shot by a beam rifle shot just in his normal suit floating through space. That's got to be a terrible way to go. Yeah. Also, I mean, <laughs> it's a small target, so I think it was also a good shot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Baz basically melted uh, O'Berry here, and then Baz starts to fire at Sheffield. He's, you know, he says he has some very villainous line like, "Oh, dying by yourself is is so lonely." I don't know. That whole sequence was just very confusing. I don't feel like now. Granted, this is not like the highest budget manga, right? It was released but with some model yeah. kits, but I don't. I don't think the art really conveyed what was happening here very well, kind no. of at all. No, it could have been written better, uh, maybe plotted out better. But yeah, I I feel like Gundam manga's biggest weakness is that sometimes a lot of it gets lost in what would have been easy to understand in animation. Because I was very confused if O'Berry died. And then he did because he never came back, so I'm pretty sure he died. Right. Well, uh, <laughs> we knew somebody died when, you know, he immediately went for his gun when he was in his cockpit and took yeah. a shot. <laughs> yeah. So Baz and, and uh, Sheffield start going at it. Sheffield puts up a good fight. He's either in the Burga Barus or the right. uh, Vina Zara at this point, which is a pretty capable suit. So he puts up a good fight against the Neo Gundam. Uh, he blocked with his beam shield, but he does get sort of his arm damaged. Um, and he does get a hit in on Baz. You know, he he uses that cool crossbone vanguard lance uh, to ruin Baz's big... Uh, the Neo Gundam has a really big like beam rifle. It's kind of like a... has to be a mega particle cannon based on what we see it do sort of later on but it's it's a pretty big cannon and so then sheffield after he blows up the cannon he kind of just retreats and then back in the colony we see subit tokyo and kevin they go talk to the neo zeon remnant leader and he says you know what you guys why don't you take the young people here that have never been outside the colony but us old people we don't want to leave and then subit again being a smart man he he starts getting suspicious he's like you know where are these people getting all their supplies from someone's bringing them stuff so again, he's the only guy asking the right questions here. <laughs> and not even the captain's asking this stuff. No. No. Captain's just he sitting on the ship. He never leaves his chair. Yeah. The whole he doesn't series. do anything. Subit though, you, this guy needs to be promoted. And then we we cut back to the Ajax and Iris is all 
concerned when Baz gets back because you know his suit's damaged, and so she starts to go try to help. But then Baz is like, "Get her out of here! Her job's done." And then he reveals his plan that he wants to take out the Crossbone Vanguard, the Bladewood, and the Colony all at once. But then he decides he's going to let Iris go because I think he says, "quote Letting her go won't cause anything bad to happen." So at this point, I am very confused um, because I don't understand why he wants to kill the Crossman Vanguard when he just got a briefcase from him. Are they not on good terms? Like, wh- wh- I- the- <laughs> what is happening? It's not a listeners. This isn't a very well put together story. Yeah, this trade off. They didn't lead up to it sort of implying what they could possibly passing together, like information or money or anything like that. It just happens. And about leaving Iris alive, that doesn't make sense either. They're willing to kill a bunch of civilians in a colony and also the civilians in the uh, the test ship, the Bladewood, but they're, he, he wants to let Iris live, who technically probably knows more about what's going on since she's actually on the Ajax and can conceivably testify. <laughs> right, she she watched his whole thing play out. I don't, I don't yeah. see why you would let him go or let her go. The she only knows thing was he wondering... launched in a Gundam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only thing I the only thing I thought maybe is there was a guy in, in the flashback with her father that kind of looked like Baz, but I don't know that they ever confirmed that it was him. Did you did you uh, notice that? So maybe I that just, was Baz, and maybe he had a soft spot for her or something. That kind of makes sense. Maybe, but just based on what we what we see about Baz, I kind of deduce that there was no way that he would be, you know, support at a test at a test flight. <laughs> He's yeah. he would he'd probably be some grunt or something in like the thick of whatever was going on at the time, some war. He would have been okay. the GM. Yeah, <laughs> He's not doing research. <laughs> Baz gives Iris her, her leave and says, "Fine, just get out of here." I guess, which doesn't even make sense. Where is she even going to go? She's on a she's on a ship. It's not like she can go anywhere. Um, yeah. So she runs. So she runs away, right, like down the hallway. <laughs> like, you know, just imagine that you're in a ship that you don't know, and someone says, "Well, I'll just let you go." I mean, what do you do? I guess you go run. So she runs down the hallway, and she runs into someone named Elizabeth. And then her and Elizabeth get locked in this room. It seems that Iris and Elizabeth know each other from I don't know some previous point in their lives, school, military, and I'm don't know. Don't really get much more info on Elizabeth. She does come back later, though. But that's pretty much all we learned about Elizabeth. Do, yeah, do, yeah. Do, I assumed it was Anaheim Electronics. I thought they were kind of doing like a, a repeat of Nina and her friend that was at the uh, Le'Veon oh, Rose. Yeah. You know, I thought, yeah. I don't know. This series feels very much like they're borrowing a lot and then, yeah, trying to make it all work together. They wanted a lot of things together, not necessarily having them make sense. And then at the very end of the chapter, Captain Holst gets word that the repairs are complete to the Bladewood. But again, the Ajax crew are the ones who did the repairs, and they didn't let the, the Bladewood engineer, uh, Elesner, watch them as they did the repairs. <laughs> and if the, if the captain of the Ajax is planning to blow up the Bladewood, guess what's going to happen with those repairs? So we'll, we'll see that a little, a little later on. So the next chapter, we get another... Another flashback, but it's only like a few days before. And so that's another thing. This this series tended to like play with time in like hours a little bit or like a few days. And I don't really think that was necessary. They could have just done it linearly. Right. Um, but you can do that in animation and it actually works pretty well. That just doesn't translate too well in manga. <laughs> yeah. So we get a flashback a few of like a few days before. There's two people talking and I think they're they're at Anaheim Electronics on the moon. And one of those people is Lieutenant Commander Wolf Lyle. 
I'm saying his name because we're going to talk about him later. I don't actually know who the other guy was. Do you know who it was? Was he named? No, I don't remember. It, it was it was a very odd conversation. It was very vague, like, oh, the plan is going well. It's too bad yeah. we have to kill all these people, blah, blah, blah. He, he was bureaucrat and McMystery. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so Lieutenant Commander Wolf Lyle from the Federation and bureaucrat McMystery at Anaheim Electronics have a shadowy conversation about a plan. And that plan is what, what we are watching unfold with the, the Bladewood crew and the Ajax. So then we let me zip back to the current situation back on the colony, on 7th Colony. Tokyo and Kevin are approached by some Federation mobile suits from the Ajax. And one says, hey, Tokyo, go to the Ajax. And Kevin, you know, naive Kevin over here is just like super relieved. He's like, oh, the, the Federation's here. We're saved. Uh, but not Layla. <laughs> Because maybe next to Subit, Layla's the, the next most logical person in this story. She's like, oh, I don't know about these Federation people. I, I don't think they're I don't think they're up to any good. And so Tokyo listens to this guy, but he tells again, another thing that doesn't make sense. So Tokyo goes, You know what, Kevin Layla, you go back to the Bladewood and you tell people to be careful of the people on the Ajax. But me, I'm gonna go to the Ajax. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> so he if he tells people to be careful, why is he going to the Ajax? Because these test pilots are idiots, bro. <laughs> so <laughs> they're really only good for like pushing suits to their limits. Other than that, they're, they're dummies. Uh, Tokyo heads to the heads to the Ajax. While he's on the way, he gets a new type flash. So I guess, or I, I, it looks like a new type flash to me. So did did it look like a new type flash to you? Were, were we were we to infer that Tokyo is a new type? We could, but I refuse to believe he's a new type. <laughs> <laughs> there's just there's just no way especially at the end the end seals it for me but we'll get there eventually <laughs> so he, he he's approaching the ship and he realizes oh you know what iris is there and iris is in fact on the ajax as we know but at this point she's been locked in an airlock basically as a prisoner and at this point he also realizes or he comes to the conclusion that baz is there and he says something like oh that baz it's always him and at this point we we did not know that Tokyo knew Baz in any sort of capacity. Let so again, I was Baz like, has what? a reputation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do get an answer immediately. Zoom right into a flashback, which was great because I was like, oh man, there better be an explanation for this. Uh, so you know, sure enough, I think next page you, you zoom right into the flashback. So three years ago, Tokyo was part of a special missions unit when Baz was the leader, and Baz basically had them kill uh, or massacre a bunch of Neo Zeon remnants. And Tokyo didn't like that. Doesn't seem like he went along with it. Were, were we to infer that he got, like, not... It looked like Baz had him put in jail for a while because there, there was that shot of, like, the, the prison door. What, what did you take away from that? Honestly, it was hard for me to understand. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, was wonder, I, was, I was wondering if this was, like, <laughs> a wrongful... Like, they put him away in a ship <laughs> or something. I thought they were going to like, oh, you know, Iris is locked up and so was he or something. Like <laughs> so, you know, something happened. Tokyo did some sort of time for for disobeying uh, Baz and not going along with the with what was essentially a massacre, even though I think uh, Baz pitched it as something else and reported it as, as um, something more official, you know, probably taking out hostiles or something. So now we know that basically Baz is, you know, Tokyo's sort of big bad in his life, right? Yeah. Now we have a real conflict to follow, I suppose, because Tokyo's on his way to go save Iris, and he, you know, he's gonna, he wants to see what's going on with Baz as well. And so Kevin gets back to the Bladewood, 
Captain Holst is like, well, all right, we're we're leaving. And Kevin's like, well, what about Subit? Subit stayed behind with the, the remnant leader, like old remnant guy, yeah. trying to convince him and all the old people to leave. But I guess Holst was like, you know, whatever, we're leaving. Get get on the ship. We're we're getting out of here. <laughs> He's not going anywhere. We yeah. can come back for him later. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess he didn't care. But back in the colony, the rem- the remnant leader and Subit are getting like super suspicious that the Federation is sending in suits to the colony. Because remember, the last time the Federation sent suits into this colony, all their Neo Zeon friends got killed. And then and then the remnant guy is like, oh, by the way, you know, I just want to let you know we've been in contact with the Crossbone Vanguard, but we we're we're still neutral. Don't worry about it. And Subit's like, oh man, what do you mean you've been in contact with the Crossbone Vanguard? And so at this point, I'm just like, man, people in this story, <laughs> they have. They got allegiances all over the place, all crisscrossing. <laughs> it's like it's like someone t- tapping on the shoulder, like at lunch, and like saying, "By the way, I'm in communication with the crossbow." <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Why? What? What do you guys get out of this Why secret? You, you know, what's the point? Uh, I don't know. So Tokyo gets to the Ajax in his in his RX F91, and he he leaves it. In the hangar, probably a dumb move. Again, going back to our point a few, from a few weeks ago, or maybe we've said this multiple times, a lot of problems in Gundam would be solved if you just put a lock on your Gundam. If you could just, you know, yeah. click the clicker when you get out, like beeps twice and you just walk away. There's a key. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> any sort of key system would be good. So then Baz and, and Tokyo, they kind of just talk in his office. It, it was like a pretty normal conversation for the first little bit. But then it, like, escalates really quickly. I guess they are in view of the Bladewood, kind of, like, in the colony. Or as the Bladewood is trying to leave, Baz is like, oh, by the way, you should say goodbye to your ship because, um, <laughs> like, you know, we, we screwed up the repairs. And then the, the Bladewood's engine blows up, and Tokyo's like, what are you doing? You know, he calls my name. And then, I, and then this goes back to the same thing that Baz did with Iris. He lets Iris go. He lets Tokyo watch his whole plan unfold. And I believe he tells Tokyo, oh, you know what? I'm going to reassign you to your original squad. You, you're, you're not on the Bladewood anymore. Why doesn't he just kill him? What, why, is, why is he leaving Tokyo alive here and having him watch all of his offenses? I think at this point we have to assume Baz is a sadist. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, he left Zeon Remnants alive. He could have conceivably killed everybody there, you know, years ago when he first showed up to kill people in the colony, right? Yeah. He could have done yeah. the same to Iris. He could have done the same right now to Tokyo, but he likes leaving people alive so they suffer. <laughs> yeah. So then Tokyo was clearly prepared for this because he pulled a gun on Baz, and Baz is like, "You can't fire that." And then Baz like does like the ultimate bad guy thing where he explains his whole plan. He's like, "I'm cleaning out the trash from 30 years ago," referring to the the Zeon remnants that are living mm-hmm. there. We cut back to the Bladewood, which we just saw, by the way, we just saw the Bladewood, like, explode. So at this point, I thought the Bladewood was, like, done, right? Like, it was a pretty big explosion. Do you, do you remember that panel? Yeah, yeah. And then, like, you go inside, and everyone's fine. <laughs> yeah, and then you go inside, and Subit's, like, all of a sudden just on the Bladewood, and they're just, like, talking to him. I'm like, well, hold on, wait a minute. And then the captain's like, oh, yeah, the, you know, the, uh, the engine blew up. We got a, got a problem. The, the Bladewood is, like, the most durable ship in, uh, I think, in Gundam history. Because, like, when, like, a Zaku shoots a few bullets into like a, a salamis the thing blows up but the blade would <laughs> like there's been a hole blown in it like one of the engines blows up that thing is still trucking man um that thing's made of stern stuff that's why they only built one <laughs> <laughs> so Subit's like you know i i'm back now i couldn't convince those people to, to come with me but then all of a sudden a hole's blown in the colony presumably from the ajax and then they decide they determine that you know what okay there's a hole in the colony 
there's none of that cool sticky stuff around, I guess, uh, like like there was in 0079 to patch the hole. Yeah. Um, and they say, you know what, all the air is going out in an hour. So Subit's like, all right, I'll go back and try to convince him one more time. What was the point of having Subit do all these like back and forths? Did you feel like that was unnecessary? Yes, along with many things in this story. I thought they were just sort of, they reached the point where they had characters alive and the, the stakes were raised. So they wanted everybody to be busy doing something. It's, just, it's one of those like storytelling things, I guess. You have to make your character movements efficient, right? You don't want the character going to somewhere, then back again, and to somewhere, and back again all the time. It, it just it just felt kind of odd. But anyway, yeah. so then Holst earned some points here, because now his ship has one engine, there's a hole in the colony, and now I think Holst is slowly starting to realize that, hey, you know, these Ajax people, they're kind of effed up. I don't think they're really on our side. So he has a new plan. He's like, you know what? This ship turns out it actually has a mega particle cannon. And then yes. someone on the oh, ship's God. like, why do we have this? And and Holst's like, you know what? It's a dangerous world out there. So I got a I got a mega particle cannon on my ship. So his plan is instead of leaving the colony through the port, which he's stuck in, he's gonna he's gonna burn his engine and blow a hole into the colony from the port, so that he can basically just go out the other side, I presume, or at least escape from the Ajax, because he knows if he sits there. The Ajax people are going to come kill him. Yeah, yeah. I think he so, literally says, like, we'll have a better chance, you know, in going into the colony or blowing our way through or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I give him credit for that. That was probably his best move in the whole uh, in the whole manga. It kind of uh, reminded me of a Return of the Jedi where, like, the end at the Battle of Endor, like, Lando says, you know, <laughs> let's just fight them at a point-blank range. <laughs> we'll, yeah, we won't yeah. last long at those star destroyers, and we'll we'll last longer than we will against the Death Star. So, <laughs> yeah, he just had to. I don't know. They had to blow their way through. To Gotta try walking. something. Their single double-barreled mega particle cannon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then we cut back to Baz arguing with Tokyo. Still, Baz starts talking about the Crossbone Vanguard, and Tokyo goes, "There's no such thing as a Crossbone Vanguard," which. Tokyo, come on. You've had two two sorties against the Crossbone Vanguard. I mean, clearly, these people have weapons. Come on, man. Put two and two together here. Uh, yeah. And what did you think of... And then Baz goes into this philosophical, peaceful world, would never let humankind improve. I'm causing this incident on purpose. I'm, I'm causing all of you to fight each other. That was like the big bad guy explanation moment, right? I mean, as the villain expert, what did you think of Baz's motivation here? This guy is no Le Creuset. <laughs> from uh, Gundam scene. <laughs> he's no Girin. You know, he this whole po- up until now, he's come off as just like a rabid dog, hasn't he? Pretty much. Just like a bloodthirsty I don't know how he got I don't know how he became an officer, but he's just he's in the mold of Basque Ohm. Like this was Basque Ohm's like little cousin or something. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, their family survived and I don't know, maybe they changed their name to Gallimson and now he's here to just kill people and cause problems but yeah i didn't buy this whole he's suddenly this philosophical villain that's going to give you know a, a an argument about his motives I, I thought it was just shoehorned in man yeah. god th- this this comic series this manga series was just <laughs> it's a hot mess that keeps going <laughs> <laughs> so then baz and, and tokyo start shooting each other I, I guess baz has a gun at this point too so they're you know like and uh, tokyo gets hit in the arm <laughs> My sound effects um, yeah so tokyo takes one in the arm and he doesn't he doesn't hit baz he had his gun drawn on baz first i don't know how he doesn't shoot baz before he, he gets shot but anyway tokyo gets shot 
Uh, and then he runs away, right, because he's hurt. And he, he finds Iris, and he, he frees her. But then Iris doesn't like blood, so she faints. And then they're running out. They're running, you know, they're trying to escape. And then who do they run into, Isaac? They find Elizabeth again. Of course. And then what do they do with Elizabeth? Nothing. They just, I think they literally, the panel is something like, oh, look, it's Elizabeth. And then they, like, she just, like, joins them. And then they kind of just put her on the escape shuttle. Now, the only reason I'm bringing, I'm making such a point about Elizabeth is one of the chapters is called Elizabeth. But I don't think we ever really learned much about Elizabeth, do we? Not really, no. She literally shows up as, like, Iris's counterpart. <laughs> like, yeah. she's the Anaheim Electronics friend, I guess, or something like that. It, she just really had no point. It would have made sense if, like, you know, they show up later on. And she's like, oh, I know how to defeat the Ajax or something, right? Like, she yeah. had some type of tentacle or some kind of engineering solution that would help them, you know, but that doesn't really happen. (laughs) Yeah. So if you're, if you're out there, if you're a big silhouette formula F91 fan and you know why Elizabeth is relevant to the story, please let us know because clearly Isaac and I missed it on the first read through. Comment if you're a big Elizabeth fan. (laughs) (laughs) So Tokyo and, uh, and Iris, you know, they, they take all the, the, I guess the good people the the Anaheim technicians or the Federation technicians uh, off the Ajax, they put them in an escape shuttle <laughs> and Tokyo's like, you know what? I'm going to steal the Neo Gundam. And Iris is like, okay, well I'm going to go with you, but I've only been in a mobile suit three times. So that didn't make sense to me either. She's in mobile suit development and she's only been in a mobile suit three times. Did you buy that? Uh, I was willing to give it a bit of a pass. Like, I don't know. I wonder like aviation engineers, do they have to be like, in fighter planes to like understand or i don't know, I don't know. yeah maybe that's a good point all right i'll, yeah. I'll give her a pass i figure they could yeah you don't necessarily have to fly to do it or yeah yeah so but then maybe the best moment of the manga happens tokyo's trying to steal the neo gundam and and who busts through the wall but our old pal kevin with layla in tow in the hardy gun and he says in the best line of the manga, Master Kevin is here, the trump card of the Blade Wood. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's right. <laughs> he's, he's, we didn't I see that coming. So, you know, never fear, everyone. Kevin is here. Um, and I think that's what makes it so great is just that his name is Kevin. Like, it's just it's very unassuming. Like, oh, that's it's just that's Kevin. That's our, that's our guy, Kevin. He's got gotcha. you. <sighs> and then we get to the, the climax, Isaac. So finally, so right. So Tokyo just stole the Neo Gundam, right out, out from under the nose of Baz. And uh, so his crew tells him, hey, Baz, you know what? <laughs> Somebody stole the Neo Gundam. And Baz is like, what do you mean someone stole the Neo Gundam? Go get it back. So he's really upset. And and now Sheffield is like he's, you know, Sheffield's pissed from earlier because Baz killed O'Berry. So now Sheffield is flying over to the Ajax to kill Baz. Tokyo stole the Neo Gundam. He wants to kill Baz. Layla wants to kill Baz, as we're about to find out. So Layla does the most logical thing that anyone has done in this entire story. Layla <laughs> gets out of Kevin's mobile suit, and she gets into the RXF-91. And she says, you know what, Tokyo, if you're going to throw it away over here, why not let me pilot it? That's the, that's the most logical thing that anyone's done in this entire story. What was what was Tokyo thinking? He's, he's going to steal the Neo Gundam but leave the RXF-91 there? Is it really like a gain? Is there is it really like a net plus there? <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> They're both <laughs> experimental suits. So by this point so, in the story, I was just I was just wanting them to wrap it up. 
<laughs> I was like, so, okay, <laughs> we have our villain now. They showed up late in the game. I don't, I don't even get why the crossbow of Ango was involved. They really didn't contribute much after the second act. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Continue, oh yeah. Brian. We're getting there. So, yeah. so Layla's like, you know what? Screw this. I want my own suit. So she gets into the RXF ninety one, which is a great idea, right? And so then yeah. when she gets into the RXF ninety one, she she has a view into the little control room there. And guess who's sitting there? It's Baz. And that sends her into this like trigger moment where she has a flashback and she realizes that Baz is the one that, that killed her her parents back six years ago when yeah. the Federation showed up and killed all the Neo Zeon people. And so then she does the second most logical thing that anyone does in this story. Because Baz is just sitting there in the control room, she takes the RXF-91's arm and she punches the control rooms. <laughs> <laughs> Any reasonable person would think, all right, well, Baz, is, he's dead. I mean, he just he just took a Gundam hand you know, to the face, to the, to the body, basically. But then we, right away we, we find out that Baz is actually okay and he's actually gotten into uh, Unit 1. Yeah, I guess, I guess I should say Tokyo stole... Neo Gundam Unit 2, and Baz still has Neo Gundam Unit 1. So Baz is actually okay. He just has a broken hand. How he only has a broken hand, I'm not sure, but so it goes. Now that Baz is is in Unit 1, we know we're going to get the big showdown, right? That Isaac's been craving this whole time because he, he just wants something to wrap up this uh, <laughs> this debacle. Uh, but then we then we cut over to the Bladewood again, and it busts into the colony. It shoots through with that mega particle cannon, and they, they land, and they start trying to take on the remnants. And then the remnant guy, the remnant guy again gives more information that he was withholding earlier. He goes, he goes, oh yeah, you know what? By the way, I talked to Sheffield earlier, the, the Crossbone Vanguard guy, and he told me that oh, this this whole thing we're being set up. That you know, turns out the Crossbone Vanguard they actually don't have any problem with you, Anaheim Electronics. So you're all fighting each other for no real reason. And this remnant guy, he really needs to communicate better, man. I mean, people, <laughs> things could be a lot simpler if he would just tell people what's going on. But his information doesn't really make sense because the crossbow Vanguard was at odds with Anaheim Electronics. Yeah. <laughs> Especially at I the outside of the story. <laughs> yeah. I, so, yeah, again, very confused about allegiances. So then we cut back to the big battle. Tokyo was holding off Baz, I guess. Uh, I mean, I think at this point they were really running out of pages because this last battle kind of happened really quickly. Because Tokyo and Baz are both in Neo Gundams, they're kind of just stalemating. Layla being really upset, she rushes in ahead of Tokyo and takes on Baz one-on-one because, you know, she really wants to kill him at this point. Uh, but then Baz punches her cockpit and she kind of gets taken out a little bit. So Tokyo and the, the team, you know, Layla, they all retreat inside the colony. But again, at this point in the story, everybody's looking to kill Baz, right? Neo Zeon hates Baz. Anaheim hates Baz at this point. Sheffield hates Baz. So even though Tokyo and team retreated, Sheffield's like, oh, now it's my turn. I'm going to kill Baz. So, so Sheffield zips in and this is where i realized that oh i guess oberry really did die because sheffield's pissed and oberry's not with him um he's gone <laughs> and he's gone yeah so so then they they fight for a while then we get what i think is the coolest part of the manga so if you remember back when baz was telling everyone his plan he's like you know what i want to destroy this whole colony so <clears throat> iris realizes hey the ajax is right outside the colony and is preparing to fire it's it's turning its turrets towards the colony so she directs Tokyo to aim the Neo Gundam's big cannon, the same one that Baz used earlier, that, that Sheffield destroyed. But, you know, Tokyo has one because he has Unit 2 or whatever. So Iris directs Tokyo where to fire. He fires, and it goes through the colony wall, through the colony mirror, and just, like, decapitates the Ajax ship. It, it just blows right through the bridge, which I thought was was great. And it kills uh, Lieutenant Dorfman or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever her name. Dor- I don't know. 
doorknob, door, doorknob, uh, Lieutenant Dorfman. Yeah. Oh man. Then someone says, "Hey, Baz, you know what? You, someone just shot down your ship." And he's like, "What do you mean someone shot down my ship?" So Sheffield, so he retreats and he lets the the Jagans kind of take care of Sheffield, and Sheffield's pissed. So then he starts wiping the floor with the Jagans. And then we cut back to the colony, and Subit's in there, and he finds Tokyo, and he's like, what is this Gundam you're piloting? Because remember, last time Subit saw Tokyo, he was in the RXF-91, not the Neo Gundam, which he stole. So Subit's a little confused. But then Baz comes in. Um, so, you, so you're all excited to see Subit you know, reunite with these guys. And then Baz comes in, and he shoots off the, the head of uh, Subit's suit, which I, I believe, at this point, I don't remember who, which one of Subit and... Um, uh, Kevin was in the G Cannon Magna versus the Hardy Gun. I think maybe Subit was in the G Cannon. I don't know. Uh, but yeah. whatever he's piloting, he gets gets his head taken off. I was sad because Subit's probably out of the fight, but I was also relieved that Subit didn't die because I, I liked Subit. I wanted him to survive. So then Tokyo's like, oh, it's Baz, and he runs in. But then Layla like charges in before he can even get to him, and, and she gets like shot a bunch from like some heavy Vulcan fire or something. And then Iris is like, you know what, Tokyo, why don't you just grab him so that he can not move anymore? So Tokyo grabs Baz. So you've got a Neo Gundam holding another Neo Gundam now. Unit 2 is holding Unit 1. And now Baz can't move. And I think Tokyo says, okay, well, now what? Now we're stuck. And Iris ejects them out of the Neo Gundam, revealing that the Neo Gundam has a core block system. And they come out in a core fighter you know, out of the back, and they kind of just fly away. And and now because Baz is being held by Unit Two, he can't really do anything. So Layla charges in and gets her revenge. You know, she busts out the saber and kind of just slashes his cockpit. Tokyo flies back in with the the core fighter and and you know just sprays him down with machine gun fire. And then Unit One explodes and Baz is finally dead. And Sheffield just kind of like okay and he leaves. And then literally like you, <laughs> the next page is basically like and then they all went home safely and the whole thing was treated as an accident. <laughs> And then we get, I think we get a one-page epilogue or two-page epilogue. It says Iris left mobile suit development. Tokyo left the military. But Iris took her data with her from from all the testing. Um, (laughs) For what end? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's not like you can go use that in many facilities, I suppose. So, yeah, that's (laughs) that's my summary of Mobile Suit Gundam Silhouette Formula 91. I got a lot of questions, Isaac. Number one, why did the Crossbone Vanguard help Baz in the first place? Maybe I'm forgetting something about F91 that makes this all make sense. But Baz okay. already has the Neo Gundam, right. which is clearly better than the Vigna Zara. Right. So what did he get from them? The only thing that pops into my head is flight combat data, flight data from the Denon Zon prototype test. I'm confused. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe we're both just confused. If you know why all this backstabbing by Baz makes sense, Please let us know. <laughs> Please leave us a comment. <laughs> it it doesn't. This was clearly a case. I think of the writer really complex and have like backstabbing and maybe a romance part. And there's a secret conspiracy within the Federation, but it didn't. Instead, I think it really suffers from having, from attempting to have two villains. We had Baz, but he got introduced late, and then we had the Crossbone Vanguard starting out. I think yourself, myself, and anybody reading this when they started, they would have assumed, oh, okay, you know, the rival is going to be one of these crossbone Vanguard pilots, right? And mm-hmm. he's going to be just a thorn on the side to the to the main characters until the end where they have like a climactic battle, right? Yep, that's exactly mm-hmm. what I thought. But nope, 
the Crossbone Vanguard pretty much sits out the story after the first half. <laughs> Again, because it's a one volume manga, there's not that many characters in it. So what did you think about the the characters overall, Isaac? I mean, we had Tokyo. Do you have any thoughts on Tokyo? I didn't think he he didn't have much of a personality really. I don't know. He didn't seem like a, an expert pilot. Not much. If he was a new type, I think he's a pretty low quality one. He's not. He's definitely not near armor level. <laughs> um, for the most part, these characters were, I think, very cardboard. They didn't feel very unique or have a lot of personality to them, except for um, Suvit. Oh, okay. I thought he was pretty interesting. For he was kind of like the, I don't know, the big brother of the group in a way that was. He clearly had the sharpest mind in the group, and I would have liked to have seen maybe almost a. <laughs> a side story where he's like investigating stuff you know because he clearly knows how to think about situations and determine if there's a threat right so i don't know i like that he was kind of the the gumshoe on the ground really getting the facts and let me jump to the captain while i have this thought in my head so they make it a point to say multiple times that this isn't a federation ship right it's anaheim electronics but yep. the whole time the captain is wearing the symbol of the federation navy on his I cap. Did, <laughs> I did that notice that and I was a little a, confused. Yeah. yeah. That threw me for a loop. I mean, his jacket said AE, but like his hat, I was like, okay, so this is a Federation officer they're having running their ship. But no, they kept they said multiple times that he's really not with the Federation. So I don't know. So that that means it was just drawn badly. They're showing us symbols that mean certain things, but they don't want us to believe it. So I thought that was not something in the story's favor. Maybe they have like a partnership kind of thing where if, if Anaheim has a ship, they will borrow a, a captain from the Federation. Maybe, but yeah. I thought the captain would end up becoming complex and somehow involved in the conspiracy. <laughs> but really, no, he was he was at the mercy of the conspiracy every step of the way. I mean, he was sharp enough at like one moment to do something cool where he decided to just blast his way through to survive longer. But yeah, none of these characters really stuck out to me as memorable. Even the Crossbone Vanguard, as unique as the Crossbone Vanguard is, they really weren't interesting villains. They didn't have anything too unique about them, right? No, I mean, we never really found out who gave Sheffield those orders to give Baz the briefcase, nor did we find out why they were giving him the briefcase. I mean, Sheffield's motivation of O'Berry dying was was good. You know, generally, if that's someone's motivation, you kind of want them to get that revenge at the end of the story and he didn't right i mean layla killed baz not uh, sheffield and then sheffield kind of just flew away so yeah kind of a hollow ending for for sheffield and the the dark tiger squadron yeah what what did you think about iris because i had to say out of all the characters iris actually had a backstory that we saw <laughs> yeah <laughs> not a lot but we i mean she's, in a way she's kind of the most developed out of the main characters <laughs> just yeah, because I, of those few pages of backstory <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think Iris was one of the definitely top three characters in the manga. I think all the descriptions describe her as the protagonist, which I found interesting. Oh um, my god. <laughs> and I, I guess I kind of agree with that, because like you said, she probably has the most backstory, even though she's, I guess she's the protagonist, but maybe it's hard to pick like a single protagonist for this, right? Because Tokyo, yeah. besides the end, he doesn't really do much in the beginning. He's He's kind of just like along for the ride, like these are the events that are happening and Tokyo happens to be there. I don't know. I didn't really feel like he was making that many decisions. I don't want to sound too authoritative with how I decide who's the main character or not, but almost always the main character in a Gundam story is the pilot of the Gundam. There's there's almost no way going around it. Iron-Blooded Orphans kind of had like a co-protagonist in Orga, 
but barely, just barely. So I really don't buy Iris as being the main character. And if they want her to be the main character, what they should have done is have her be, you know, the head of the design and the head of the the engineering, whatever. Not well, not the engineer, but the development, and also the pilot. That would have made perfect sense. It would have been fine. She would have had her backstory. You could even tie Baz into that. And, yeah, we would have been in a much better position. But, oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> How about Kevin? He was there for the laughs, right? I would have loved to see Kevin in, like, an actual series just because, you know, his his one-liner about him being Master Kevin, the trump card of... <laughs> of the blade wood i thought that was pretty cool and i don't know that's a good sense of humor we could see on the battlefield you know yeah i think that gave kevin more personality than tokyo had in one line yeah absolutely yeah what did you think about our villains (laughs) (laughs) what did you think about baz because let's face it he ended up becoming like the big bad of the story even though he he wasn't there initially and we really don't think he's going to be the bad guy until the, the whole plan is unveiled as a bad guy, I don't think he executed his scheme very well at all. He he was going to let everyone watch it, and they all would have known about it, and they, they could have told someone afterwards. And it just the whole thing seemed very complicated and unnecessary. He could have just came back to the colony and blew it up when, when the colony wasn't expecting it. He doesn't need everyone to be there at the same time. He left me very confused about what whatever it was he was trying to do. So... Baz does not he he does not score high on my on my villain scorecard. Yeah, I'll I'll just say that he was poorly written, but they feel like they changed their mind at the last minute. They they made him a bloodthirsty kind of villain, and then at the end they wanted to sort of shoehorn in this whole, you know, philosophical belief that he had about why he needed to kill people and humans need to struggle and blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah, what do you think about our our forgettable crossbone vanguard goons? <laughs> I like Sheffield towards the end when he when he got all motivated. In the beginning, Sheffield was a jerk because he kept O'Berry kept wanting to do things, and Sheffield was like, "Don't do it, O'Berry. You're being an idiot." So in the beginning, I don't think Sheffield had very much personality other than he's just like an overbearing kind of officer. But I, I liked him when he was out for revenge against Baz. Where I thought we were going in in the last chapter was I thought maybe we were going to get a big team up at the end where you know Tokyo, Layla and uh sheffield all fought baz at the same time and yeah um, or the ajax and like their their yeah mobile yeah. suits or something you know and i mean we kind of got that they just all didn't do it at the same time right like tokyo and them fought and they left and then they let sheffield fight for a while and then baz left and he went and fought tokyo's team again so i guess i was just hoping for like a, a bigger climax you know, because all of the motivations were building towards everybody hates baz and everybody wants to kill baz so i kind of wanted to see that come together like like baz's death was was cool because layla got to she slashed him and tokyo fired the the vulcans at him or whatever from the the core fighter and it would have just been cool to to have one last shot of sheffield run in and like pierce him through the middle with the lance or something yeah um i just think that would have been a really cool like visual you know at that point maybe sticking the landing wasn't really possible but it certainly would have been neat because I, I don't get why you build up sheffield all that way or like like you said, I mean, the Crossman Vanguard didn't really do much after the, the briefcase exchange. Why bring him back if he's not going to get too involved? Like, they just fought for a while, but then they kind of just disperse. It was kind of like a fight with no end, uh, like no payoff. So that that's why it just felt a little off to me. But Much like this manga. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> it is what it is. Who are your top characters in this? Your top three characters, if you had to choose? 
probably Subit, Kevin, and oh boy. <laughs> See, it's <laughs> hard I... to pick a top three because I'm going to put Layla in there just because yeah. I thought she was kind of one note. You know, she's out for revenge because, you know, her, her Xeon remnants were attacked and massacred by Baz, and now she's piloting an old suit. But um, at least she had more personality than Tokyo. <laughs> she has a background compared to Tokyo, and she's clearly fighting for something other than, you know, oh, I was caught in this situation during my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think my top three would be Subit, Layla, and Iris, I guess. Um, really? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Iris had backstory, but I always felt she was kind of bland in a way. She showed her usefulness a lot throughout the show or throughout the series. Like, you know, in the beginning, she was like, Tokyo, take off the limiters and it'll be fine. Uh, and then she was the one that had the idea to shoot through the colony with the Neo Gundam's cannon. So mm-hmm. I, I thought those were cool character moments. Shows she's a very smart individual. And then, like you said, she has backstory uh, relative to <laughs> the, really the rest of the cast. <laughs> uh, Layla, I liked because <clears throat> just because. I knew I was a Layla fan when she was like, you know what? I want the RX F91. Why are you just leaving it there? And she went and got it. As soon as Tokyo decided to steal the Neo Gundam, I was like, well, who's going to who's gonna take the RX F91? Like, don't just leave it there. Go go yeah. give it to Kevin, for crying out loud. Like, Kevin's not the best, but he's he's done enough. Like, don't Good leave enough. it there. <laughs> In this situation. <laughs> yeah. And then Subit, yeah, just he's on my list because I think he, he was the only one that was the whole time being like, none of this makes sense. <laughs> yeah, he was doing what the captain pretty much should have done in almost any other normal situation. <laughs> what about the Mecha? I mean, we could go in order of like appearance, right? We had the the RXF ninety one. I mean, what do you think about the titular Gundam of the series? I wasn't too impressed. I felt a lot like F ninety. I felt like it was a shadow of what it could have been, just because we already have the established F ninety one and the F ninety. Really, this one it just felt flat for me. But that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. It wasn't my favorite gun design. I do think the F90 looks better. You know, if you're in that realm of like this, the formula kind of time frame series. Yeah, just, I don't know. The F90 looks better to me. It's hard not to compare it to the the other Gundams in the immediate vicinity of this story. Particularly if you go look at the, they released a master grade of the F90 last year in 2019, I think. And it looks really good. It's one thing to see the designs in the manga, which is old and maybe not the highest budget. I mean, right. not to say the art was bad, but you know, I'm sure they didn't give the guy like a bazillion assistance or whatever. But it, it's pretty neat to see the, the, the F90 in master grade form. And when you see that, you go, oh, that looks pretty cool. And then you go look at the, the colored versions of the RX F91. And yeah, I don't know. It, was, it wasn't my favorite, um, especially if you look at the F91. The F91 looks a little more streamlined than the RXF 91. I feel like the RXF is very, it's got a lot of like markings, just looks really busy. Maybe that was just the design preference back in the early mid nineties. Um, you can kind of attribute it also to Anaheim electronics is really carrying over a lot of what worked with them with previous Gundams they built. So yeah. it's not going to be as smooth as F 91 ended up coming off as or miniature. How about the, the Hardy gun? <laughs> You know, I initially kind of liked this kind of, you know, more bulky kind of design. It reminded me a lot of um, a mobile suit you'd see in like Double Eighty Three or something. You know, yeah. it was mm-hmm. aesthetically bulky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like the Hardy yeah. Gun yeah. a lot better than the than the RXF Ninety One actually. Um, exactly. Yeah. 
I thought it'd be kind of like the hero suit. Like it's kind of like underpowered, undergunned, and it's going to do the best it can in the situation, <laughs> even though it's not gunned matchable. But it held its yeah. own. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Kevin did not die in the Hardy gun, right? So that, that's no. an accomplishment. I mean, it's Hardy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then if I had to guess, I would think that the G-Cannon Magna is your favorite design from the series. Yeah, I have to say, like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, wow, you know, I'm big onto the uh, the, the Jim Cannon, and this thing is just like a, I don't know why Anaheim Electronics wanted to double down on <laughs> on Gun Cannon and Jim Cannon lineage, but they did, and they <laughs> built this, but it looks pretty sweet. Yeah, there's like that one yeah. Anaheim engineer out there who's like, I, we're, we're doing it, we're building the, <laughs> the Gun Cannon. You understand, again. <laughs> we need a medium range fighter. We, we need cannons, damn it. <laughs> And then, what do you what did you think about the uh, the Neo Gundam? I wasn't enthused. I felt like it didn't really look that unique compared to what we've seen before. It it came off as very uninspired. I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it didn't look different enough from the RXF ninety one. Exactly. You know, if you're flipping through manga pages really quickly, uh, especially with like the posing, right? Everything's in dynamic poses. You're not just staring at like a mm. frontal picture. Um, of these suits all the time, it, it would it would be hard to be like, oh, that's clearly the Neo Gundam or that's clearly the, the RXF91. So I think it would have benefited from some more defining features, I guess, but that's just my opinion. I'm sure the Neo Gundam has a lot of fans. I'm sure there's a lot of RXF91 fans out there as well. Does it? <laughs> I don't know. We'll find out. I love um, so. <laughs> how about your Crossbone Vanguard people? You got your Denonzons and your... Uh, uh, <laughs> Pronounce your, uh, it right. your Burga Barus and your uh, Vigna Zara. I'm probably saying all those wrong. You know what? I'm not a, a fan of anything Crossbone Vanguard unless it has goggles. <laughs> I'm big into <laughs> the goggle eyes. So the Denon series, um, I really like those. Yeah, I thought they were animated so well, too. The other ones I didn't really care too much for, but um, yeah, I liked how these ones showed up and they were really introducing them as, you know, oh, they're still being tested and all that. They worked pretty damn well. <laughs> they did, yeah. They stood toe-to-toe yeah. with those Gundams, so... Yeah, especially in the beginning. I was like, I, I don't think Crossbow Vanguard really... Their, their main problem really wasn't their mobile suits. <laughs> I, like you said, I, I do think that they drew the crossbow vanguard suits really menacing in this series i wish i could see them more i guess they were they were entertaining to watch Um, god it's so disappointing in the course of the story too because we they introduce them and they really grab us in the beginning right because we see these menacing new mobile suits from the crossbow vanguard and they say they're like oh they're from the the bunch concern or whatever and we're like oh okay this is going to be about like you know they're going to investigate this whole thing and this is going to lead up to f91 no the story goes off on this <laughs> tangent about like Xeon remnants again, and then the Federation ends up becoming the villains. <laughs> it, this wasn't a good story, Brian. No, <laughs> I, I did not like this story. <laughs> yeah, definitely wasn't my favorite. Anything to say about the ships? I mean, what'd you think about the Ajax? What'd you think about the um the blade wood and the the little crossbone uh the little the little local destroyer they sent around. <laughs> you know, I really liked the crossbone ship. Um, it looked that was great. Neat. It had a little bit of a moose eye in it, I thought. Um, yeah. yeah. I kind of liked it. I, I liked that one the best. I mean, the 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 Ajax, we've seen that before. It's just a rock, it's just a rock high loom. Um, right. Nothing special there. The Bladewood, it was a boring looking ship. 
it served its purpose, though. I mean, you wouldn't expect these Anaheim people to be on, you know, a Rock Island class, right? Uh, that that right. fits the story. And um, it did get its moment. It had the <laughs> Mega Particle Cannon reveal. So I guess. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess thought that was a very Anaheim thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. But there's like a, ret- a retractable cannon that they don't <laughs> tell anybody about. They only tell the captain, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, so my one other thought on the show before we get to the rating, uh, which you can probably already imagine what it's going to be, but so back a long time ago, maybe 15 years ago, uh, maybe longer than that, there was a sale on the 1/100th scale silhouette formula F91 kits. Oh my god! And I bought them all. I, I bought <gasps> all the kits because I think each kit was like seven dollars or something. It was they were super cheap. Oh, okay. Um, and so I still have them all somewhere. And and now maybe I like them less after actually reading the story. But as is the case, a lot of times when they do these manga slash model kit kind of dual release things, there are model kits that are not in the manga. And, and there maybe there's some designs in the manga that are not in the model kits. Actually, my favorite Gundam from the model kit line was called the Cluster Gundam. But it wasn't it wasn't in the manga, so I was a little disappointed. I looked it up and it's, it sounds like there's another chapter of uh, Silhouette Formula F91 called like the Cluster Gundam chapter. And oh, it involves like this guy named Lyle <laughs> Wolf using the cluster gun to take on a different team uh, of the Crossbone Vanguard. But, but it like, turns <laughs> out it's a Federation conspiracy. I, I don't know. So that's the thing. But I, I, I can't find it anywhere. Um, and the one thing I'm confused about is the description online says that, oh, Lyle Wolf pilots the cluster Gundam. But I'm confused because the picture of Lyle Wolf on the wiki looks completely different than the Lyle Wolf that we saw in in this series in this series lyle wolf was remember the guy who talked to bureaucrat mcmystery uh in anaheim electronics and that lyle wolf was like a very uh, not like mature man but he was definitely in his like late 20s 30s you know like chiseled face kind of clean cut the lyle wolf in the wiki looks he's got wild looking hair he looks very young so i'm just confused if they're the same person so if anyone has the the cluster Gundam chapter that supposedly exists for Silhouette Formula. Yeah, let me know. I mean, I just I don't immediately see it. So I'd like I would like to read it. Unless it's a different animation team or something like that, <laughs> or they decided to could be. Yeah, it could be. They completely decided to change the character, which you know why wouldn't it happen? If it happens in cartoons and animation, it would happen in a manga series quite easily, or in a, from one manga series to a new one. Yeah, I, I don't want to guess, but how many Haros would you give this story, Isaac? Oh, boy. I feel like I'm trying to be kind. Like, you know, like my mother would say, like, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. <laughs> okay, thumper. But I'm trying to think of, like, wh- what redeeming qualities did this manga series have before I give it a score? <laughs> the really nice shots of the Den and Zon. There's not a lot to pick, so I'm going to give it one and a half Haros out of five. <laughs> Wow, that is harsh. That That is pretty harsh. They earned it. They did everything they could <laughs> to earn it. They messed up the plot. They had two villains when they should have had one. They changed one of the villains. They had a bland protagonist. And by bland protagonist, I mean Tokyo, not Iris. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, they, they did not stick the landing with this, which should have been a really good prequel leading up to F91. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Um, I'll be a little nicer on the rating. I think I'm going to give it a, a 5 out of 10 Haros, which is still a fairly low score. But, uh, you know, there were some cool moments in the manga. I liked when um, I liked when Tokyo and, and Layla teamed up against uh, 
Baz at the end there. I liked when they shot through the colony to take out the Ajax. So those were neat. I liked moments of um, Iris's character. I liked Subit. But yeah, it didn't really, just didn't really come together in, in terms of the, the whole package, the whole story. I think if you pick it up and you think, oh, this is a prequel to F91, not that your expectations need to be fulfilled when you when you pick up a prequel, but this, this certainly wasn't what I was expecting. <laughs> and uh, it didn't leave me satisfied. Um, so yeah, I'm going, I'm going with 5 out of 10 for sure. But... You know, if you're a Gundam fan and um, you're looking to see, you know, what potentially could be animated in the next five, ten years as we go through the next 100 project, you know, maybe they'll decide to pick up Silhouette Formula F91 and you know, update it a bit. Certainly, if it makes it to animation or some sort of like one episode OVA, you know, they definitely probably wouldn't adapt, wouldn't adapt it panel for panel. So I'm sure they would, you know, spruce it up a bit. I'd go a step further and say you can skip this manga. <laughs> <laughs> It's not great. There's better Gundam manga out there, and you might even be better off not having this as your introduction to the Crossbone Vanguard and, uh, yeah, Gundam F91. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. For example, if if you're trying to, like, go through the next 100 years of the UC, maybe you haven't, you know, explored some of this stuff before. Uh, even though this is a prequel to F91, I'd probably watch F91 first. Um, yeah, this is very much is not a well-done prequel. It almost... It doesn't even involve the frontier side. <laughs> so, what what'd you say? One point five out of five, and and five yeah. out of ten. So maybe not the highest. <laughs> so maybe not the highest on our chart. But that said, I think we had a lot of questions coming out of that. So if you are a big Silhouette Formula ninety one fan, and you know why all this double crossing and briefcase swapping and and uh, stuff makes sense, leave us a comment. Let us know. If you know what was up with Elizabeth, who she was, why she mattered to the story, please let us know. Any other questions for the listeners, Isaac? <laughs> Can you defend this manga? Because it's not that great. And <laughs> I'd be surprised if there's a lot of fans of it. Because there's not only is there better Gundam manga out there, there's better Gundam media in general to consume. So I don't know. I, I wish they would redo this almost. <laughs> <laughs> I would, maybe not redo this, but I wish F91 had a proper prequel that was way better than this, that focused just on the Crossbone Vanguard, maybe some of F91's development, and yeah, just led up maybe more into the political situation that, that led to um, F91. Could be a area ripe for mining. Do it. Make a series out of it. You'll squeeze more out of um, <laughs> UC Next 100. <laughs> So if you have any answers to our questions that make Silhouette Formula less opaque, let us know. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and on Twitter at Colony Dropcast. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Take care.